Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus says, You see, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to still another one talent, each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. When a lot of Christians hear the word stewardship, they immediately react by thinking, oh, here it comes, he's going to ask for some money. Well, stewardship does include the way that we handle money. Jesus makes that very clear. As he uses a unit of money in his parable, he talks about talents, a unit of money. But he also makes it clear that money isn't really all stewardship is about. He makes it clear that the way we use our money is really only an outward expression of what's in our heart. Real stewardship has to do with our attitude. As Paul told the Corinthians, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Practicing good stewardship means that we're faithful in the use of all of the things that God has given us. So if we're going to practice good stewardship, the first thing that we need to recognize and to accept by faith is that we are stewards. Everything we have belongs to God. It's not ours. We're just his stewards. We're just his caretakers. He's only entrusted it to us and allowed us to use it while we're here on this earth. The proof of that fact really is when you die, everything that you have is given to someone else to use. If it really belonged to you, wouldn't you get to take it with you? Jesus makes it clear that we are stewards in this parable when he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. He called his servants. That reminds us that he's talking about believers. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about you and me. We're his servants. We're the ones who profess that we believe that Jesus is our Savior from sin and that we are his servants, his disciples. And notice also that he says that he entrusted his possessions to them. He trusted them with things that belonged to him. It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their things. It was his things. He trusted them to use what was his for a certain period of time and that they would give it back to him in the same condition or better condition than when they received it. So think about that in the same way that you do when you lend something to someone. When you give someone something that's yours, whether it's a tool, whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a piece of clothing, you're giving it to them to use for a specified period of time usually, and you expect that it'll be returned to you 
in the same condition that you gave it to them. If they don't return it to you, you say, they're thieves. If they return it to you in a very poor condition, without any apology, without offering to repair or replace, you say they're unworthy. They're never going to be able to borrow anything from you again. If we feel justified in thinking that way, what about God? God makes very clear what he thinks about those who refuse to acknowledge that they are stewards. That everything that they have isn't really theirs, it really belongs to him. He makes very clear what he thinks about those who refuse to give him the fruits of his harvest. We heard about that last week in his parable. Even the Jewish leaders understood, didn't they? When those refused to, to give the master his harvest, they agreed. Those wretches deserve to receive a wretched end. In our first reading, God through Malachi makes it clear that those who claim to be his servants and yet to refuse to honor him and acknowledge him and give him thanks through their first fruit offerings, he says, they're robbing him. It is required that those who are given a trust must prove faithful. And we would think that's a lot to expect. Seems like God's asking more than we can possibly do. Well, Jesus answers that excuse in his parable when he says, to one servant he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to still another one talent, each according to his ability. Did you hear it? Each according to his own ability. What a comfort that statement is. Tells us that God doesn't judge our stewardship by comparing us with what other people do. He judges our stewardship by comparing us comparing it to the abilities that he knows we have. He's God. He's the one that's given us all of our talents and our abilities, our mind and our abilities. He knows exactly what we're capable of doing, and he knows what we're not capable of accomplishing. He's not going to ask us to do something with whatever he's entrusted to us that we don't have the ability to do. He entrusts his property to us in proportion to our abilities and he measures our stewardship in a portion to our abilities. As for the proof of this, listen to what the master says as he calls his stewards to account for their stewardship. The one who had been given five talents comes and returns those five talents and says, it's earned five more. And the one who was given two returns those two talents and says, here's two more. One returned five, the other one only two. Well, what does the master say? Well done, good and faithful servants. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Did you notice that? He says exactly, word for word, the same thing to the one who gained five as he does to the one who gained two. 
God doesn't judge us by what others have done. He measures our stewardship on the basis of the abilities that he knows that we have. As Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now the other servant, the one who had only received one talent, was not faithful in the use of that talent. He wasn't expected to gain five. He wasn't expected to gain two. He wasn't measured by what the others had done. But he was expected to do something. His excuse was, the master's a hard man. He expects way too much. He was afraid that he might lose something of what the master had given him. So he did nothing. He took that talent, he dug a hole in the ground, and he buried it, and then when the master returned, he dug it up, brought it, and said, here's what's yours. It's all there. So shouldn't the master have been pleased that he at least got back what he had given the servant? No. He sees through the servant's excuses. He sees the real reason that this man had buried his talent. He was wicked. He was lazy. He didn't want to serve anyone except himself. Why should he work hard for the master? Didn't make any sense. He wouldn't get anything out of it. When the master came, he'd give him what he had been given, and any profit that he made on it, he'd give the master that too. If he was going to do anything, he'd do it for himself. If he was going to do anything, he would store up things for himself and enjoy those things for himself. You can see what his attitude was. Wicked, lazy, selfish. But the Bible teaches what happens with that kind of an attitude. Through Malachi, he says that if you're thinking of yourself first, and you're going to gather to yourself what you think you want and what you think you need, and in the, if there's anything left over, then I'll give an offering to the Lord. I'll give him the leftovers. God calls that wicked. He calls it robbing him. He reminds us of the rich man who was dressed in fine linen and feasted every day, looked like he had it made on earth, but ended up in hell. He reminds us of the farmer who built the new barns and filled them to the brim with grain and said, I'm set for life. But all his grain couldn't save his soul. The servant sowed that he had no interest in anyone except himself because he didn't even consider putting that talent in the bank. 
and letting it earn some money for his master. He was wicked and lazy. He was condemned not because of what he did, but because of what he didn't do. Compare the wicked, lazy servant's attitude to the attitude of the other two servants. Immediately, it says, they went out and put their master's talent to work and did everything they could, all of their time, their talents. They used those to gain some more for their master. When they give account of their stewardship, they say, here, here's your talent back. They were happy to do it. But then they said, see, I gained five more. And the one who had two gave the two back and said, hey, isn't this neat? It gained two more. They were happy to return to the master what was his, and they were really excited to be able to give him even more what had been gained through their work. Stewardship really is all about attitude. It starts when we recognize that our Master, our Heavenly Father, He really shouldn't give us anything. The only thing He should give us is His eternal judgment and condemnation for our sins. He knows our nature. He knows how prone we are to sin, how prone we are to be selfish. He knows when he gives us something, we're not going to be faithful, perfectly faithful, in using whatever he's given us. And yet in his grace, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus who was perfectly faithful in using everything that was his while he lived here on this earth. And in grace, the Father takes that perfectly faithful stewardship of Jesus and he credits it to our account. Through the gospel, he calls us to be his own. He calls us to be his servants. He calls us out of a worldview that says, everything is mine, everything that I have is mine, and it's mine to use for my own enjoyment, a very selfish worldview, He calls us away from that to a worldview that says everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to God. And since he's already saved me and he's preparing a place for me in heaven, I'm happy to use all these things that he's given me to bring him glory. He removes our fears and our worries about putting him first with his wonderful promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. With the promise that when we put his kingdom first, he'll take care of everything else. He tells us that when we bring our tithes and offerings as first fruits, he has ways of making sure we're provided for, even keeping pests and diseases out of our crops, maybe even keeping expensive breakdowns or other unexpected expenses from coming our way. He helps us realize that our real treasure is in heaven. And there isn't anything better than hearing what those servants heard. 
come, share in your master's joy. Share in the eternal joy of living in his glory for all eternity. When our hearts are filled with God's love for us in Jesus, we're moved to practice good stewardship. We recognize that all that we are and all that we have is a gracious gift from God. It all belongs to him. We just get to use it as long as we're here on this earth. Knowing that Jesus practiced perfect, faithful stewardship in our place and God has credited his perfection to us and then punished him for all the times we've been unfaithful stewards moves us to ask ourselves each day, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I use my talents, my abilities, everything that you have given me, how can I use them to bring you glory? How can I use them to bring more people to know Jesus as their Savior so that they're saved? We pray. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Lord, forgive me for my unfaithfulness. Lord, let your love and grace motivate me to use all you have given me faithfully to the best of my ability and to your glory. Amen. Please stand.